my job as a coach I see is helping people see the bits that they can't see for themselves, seeing the edges and the borders. You know, it's a bit like a picture. You know, you're in the picture, that's your life and that's all going on. You can't see what's around it. I come along, I can see what's in the picture and the framework around it. And that's what, you know, I think all coaches do that. We have that ability to look in but see what's around it. And Yeah, and I I always just think that we can see the things you can't see. So my job is to help spark insight within you, sight inside of you, which is those bits and those edges that you can't see and ask those questions that you don't know to ask yourself. Welcome to That's What She Said, the podcast for empowering women. My name is Lucienne Shakir and as a female empowerment specialist, I'm a woman who knows what it's like to lose their mind through a lacking of female sense of self and identity. My aim is to share stories from women around the world to help you see that you are not on your own. If you feel that you are lost in a sea of who am I, these collections of conversations are for you. Sit back and enjoy listening to this phenomenal collective of female voices in That's What She Said. Today I have the pleasure of introducing Sam Adams. She is also a coach who works in the realm of real life. She works with sports people to increase their performance, mental health awareness and is simply phenomenal. We talked all things racism, being the mother of adopted twin girls, our limiting beliefs, mental health awareness, growing up and her story is such an inspiration. I loved talking with her. She is a true friend and I hope you enjoy this episode of That's What She Said. Um, how would you describe yourself? If, if for somebody who just doesn't know you, who came across you, what would you say you are? Who are you? Uh, I would say I'm a cheeky, fun, energetic kind of gal. Yeah. Uh, from a personal perspective. Um, massively into personal development. Glass half full, definitely. Um, I'm very at ease with myself, my life and I'm in a good flow. Um, I'm a business owner. I have a property business and my coaching and speaking business. Property I've had for – so people will probably know me, like, more for property because I've had my property business for, like, 20 years and I did a bit of the property circuit and stuff like that. Um, but I've probably been coaching for, like, 18 years but only professionally. I did a professional stint with property for a couple of years but life coaching professionally – um in the last two years um I'm a mother I have twin girls who are 22 I'm a fur mum as well I have a dog called Dory I love the beach (laughs) I love the beach find me at the beach if you can't find me that's where I'll be just watching the sea listening to the sea drinking all the sea air in prefer to be outdoors than indoors cycling running playing tennis anything outdoors um yeah just a learner of life and every day trying to do the best I can and be better than I was yesterday I guess that's amazing that's me amazing that's loads of stuff (laughs) so um brilliant I love it and actually I think you're the first coach that I've had on the podcast so (laughs) be interesting talk to you about your perspective on the coaching world as well as as your story um yeah so you said that you're very at ease and you have you're in good flow at the moment Mm. would you say that's always been the case or is that more recent no definitely not definitely not probably I guess they they often say that we we teach what we most need to learn and I think that's why I've always been a um an avid sort of learner of personal development, reading and listening to, you know, the gurus of the world. Jim Rohn's when I first, my first business, I first sort of got into personal development and 
uh, always trying to improve myself. So Jim Rohn and Les Brown and people like that and all the greats throughout the years, um, I guess, because I needed it. And it's just in the last couple of years, really, and I'm 53, so that I've really, and especially like the last 12 months, especially just like, yeah, I like me. I really like, well, not that I was ever a bad person, I don't think, but I'm just at ease with who I am as a person, my sexuality, the color of my skin, my frizzy hair, my, <laughs> you know, my energy. Cause you know, in the past, I think, you know, sometimes I've thought, well, you need to quieten down. You need to be a little bit quieter. Um, mm-hmm. But actually, you know, that's what makes me, me. And, and I'm very at ease about, the world is abundant in terms of love, energy, and money, and there's no need to fear the lack of it, that there isn't enough for me or that I'm not going to get what's for me. Um, so that's where that comes from, really. Like I've, you know, I, I came out when I was, like, 25. I wasn't very comfortable with it. My family, well, my parents weren't comfortable with it. And I've always, yeah, just always felt uncomfortable about it and always felt uncomfortable about the colour of my skin. I grew up in a a very white area. I grew up in Dorset. We were pretty much the only black kids in school, so that was an uncomfortable situation. So I grew up with discomfort, I guess, you know, being my father always said, oh, you know, hold your head high but hold your tongue. So basically... You know, if you hear racism or anything, then you just ignore it. You know, then they have nothing to retaliate, to come back with. So that was kind of how I was brought up with that. And I was abused as a child. So my family weren't aware of that. Um, So I had as a child, I had those sort of things going on for me, really. So it was uncomfortable, although, you know, as a child, you can't really express that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I guess I carried a lot of that unease with me really until and I've only really acknowledged it in the last couple of years I had a bit of therapy my marriage broke down so that sort of I went and had some talking therapy and that definitely kind of helped me I, I had to go to the edge in order to find the light it sounds like I don't want to sound too woo-woo because I freaking ain't woo-woo but I probably am woo-woo even though I keep saying I'm not but I had to go right to the edge in order to find find me and I now feel you know and feel more me than I've ever felt. Like, I can't even, somebody asked me to describe it the other day, and it's just an easiness of life and being me, and that's because I am really me. Like, I'm known as the real life coach for a reason, and the reason is because I'm, it's just real. I'm, I'm, my vulnerability is my superpower, and that's why, like, when you asked me before, is there any no-goes, and there really isn't. It's, it's my superpower. I will tell you everything. Um, and it's given me strength and enabled me to Mm. be at ease with myself and be at ease with the world. So I'm, I'm going to go in deep very quickly then, because you've, you've opened up a lot of, a lot of things there, whether that's abuse, sexuality, the color of your skin, Mm. being the mother of a couple of twin, you know, your twins, um, twin girls at that as well. Um, (laughs) And, and lots of other things ar- around that. And I suppose there's a question in there about where you see yourself today, given that the, the ease that you've got now doing what you do, would you give all of that up to have had an easier earlier life? Or do you think it's an important part of where you sit today? Oh, God, that's a question and a half, Lucia. That's a I good know. one. No one's ever asked me that kind of question on podcast. Would I give it all up to have an easier early life? Like my childhood wasn't bad. You know, my parents were good, you know, good people. I say were, my dad died a few months ago. Um, but they weren't loving. So I, I, you don't know what you miss until, <laughs> I didn't know I missed it as a child, but as an adult, when I was trying to work through all the abuse and my sexuality, I realized that, I didn't come from a warm home. The parents were good. We had just about enough. Um, 
so I didn't know anything was wrong as as such till I was an adult or I felt you know even though it was wrong it just felt like I lacked that and I wish that I'd had that loving cuddling kind of family and we just didn't have that and the abuse was the abuse it, you know it was you know sporadically through sort of about the ages of five to ten I think um you know my memory's very foggy about it at the time it was a bit meh was I you know at the time was it really traumatic I can't remember that it was I just knew I didn't like it Mm. and I could you know and as a child I couldn't you know sleep I'd sleep with my fingers in my ears and I was frightened of someone coming to get me although the abuse never happened in our own home I was always scared and even when we moved away so that's how I got away from it I was still scared as a child. I used to wet the bed until the age of 13. So there were repercussions from it, but mm-hmm. I don't ever remember feeling absolutely terrified, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. because, you know, where I am now, would I be where I am now if I hadn't had all those experiences? You know, I, I didn't like it in my 20s when, you know, coming out, my parents didn't speak to me for a little while and I always felt uncomfortable with it. Um, you know, I accepted it about myself. I didn't, I'd rather have been straight. I used to, you know, in my head, that's the kind of stuff that I had in my head. Okay, yeah. And then, you know, the colour of my skin always really felt, you know, being gay, you can kind of hide that a little bit, you know, but you can't change the colour of your skin. You know, when I was a kid walking in the shop, you, you know, you're very aware, walking into a room full of people, into a classroom, you know that you stand out. And I, again, I wanted to change that. I think that's why I was a very, I was just very scared and didn't like, you know, I didn't want to be gay. I didn't want to be black. didn't want to have this frizzy, bushy hair. There's a lot. <laughs> Which I love. Yeah, I love it now. I love it now. But I didn't, as you know, I didn't even that long ago, you know, I used to straighten my hair a lot. But I don't know if I've given you a long-winded answer. I, I, I don't even know if I've given you an answer because... I probably wouldn't have been ready for 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 who I am now and for what I'm experiencing and accepting of the world and just being at ease. I guess that's true for all of us, I think, to a certain extent. It happens when it's supposed to happen, right? And I probably wouldn't have been ready for it. Mm. It's fascinating. And do you think, Sam, that it's your perception of the world that's changed or do you think that the world is changing so you mentioned going into the shop you know do you do you still experience um the external environmental factors of racism today or do you think that your perception of it has changed I don't know it's a, it's a slightly random question mm. but I mean be interesting interesting to know just how things have changed over the years and if they have actually changed over the years. Well, on the one hand, you could think they haven't. You know, I'm, I'm obviously massively into my sports. My life, co- my life coaching is based around the sports industry. And if you look at football and things we're experiencing through that, it's, it's appalling that we're here in 2021 and we're still having these problems. We're having a social media blackout day, um, well, three days um, in the football industry because of what's been going on on the football pitch and in and around sports. So it's really sad. And, you know, I live in Brighton. It's not a diverse city. It's a great city. It's eclectic. It's fun. Um, and I'm not saying there aren't other black people or other people from minority ethnic groups. There are, but there isn't, still isn't a lot. Um, but I guess I'm more confident in who I am. Um, do I still feel it? Yeah. But not in the way as I did as a child. Like, I will be aware of it. I could go and, you know, I go to lots of meetings and things, and I probably am the only black woman there. And, you know, I used to sit on adoption and fostering panels, and I was, you know, I was the only black person there. And But it it bothers me less, I guess. Mm. Um, and we, are your girls black? Yes. Are they, so my, girl, yeah. my girls are adopted. Um, and they have, yeah, Jamaican heritage. So they're very dark skin. Um, so, yeah. And do you think they experience similar things to what you've experienced in terms of, of your 
you talked about being in your 20s. Do you think, you know, now that they're in their 20s, do you think that they have similar feelings about the colour of their skin, about the frizziness of their hair? <laughs> yeah, it's very difficult, isn't it? Well, one of my daughters has uh, special needs, so she's in a, re- a supported living so she's autistic and has a personality disorder. So her view of the world is very, you know, skewed to the average human being. So how she sees things mm-hmm. is is very different anyway. Um, my other daughter, I think she does, I know she doesn't like her hair. Um, that's an that's a issue for her. Um, she's not a talker. You know, they both have their challenges. They both have some extra needs. Um so it's difficult to know, I think, from, you know, yeah, especially yeah, from... It's, it's just, I think from a visionary point of view and for somebody, I mean, you know how passionate I am about diversity and inclusion mm. and just ethically speaking how the world is run, especially when it comes to commerce and the corporate world. And I... Um, I would love to hear somebody say that it's improving and I've yet to hear someone say that. So, you know, I always ask the question. It's, yeah, no, it's difficult. And I've got a client and we were talking the other day and they were in a board meeting because they're a director of a, a company, a corporation, and there's seven directors of which she is one and she's a white female and she, you know, and all the others are pale males. <laughs> you know, they're all white men. Um, and she, and she challenged them on that. And she said, I get the same answer all the time. Well, yeah, we're looking into it. We're, we're, you know, yeah, we know it's, we're addressing it, you know, it's lip service, isn't it? It's, you know, a lot of it is, I experience it a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting stuff. Okay. So at ease and in good flow at the age of 53, Ooh. how how lovely is that? I love that. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Um, I'd love to ask you a bit more about um, the therapy and the coaching, because I think this is something that I get asked quite a lot. Um, what made you take the step to go to seek therapy? At what point did you go, do you know what, I need some help and therapy is what I need? Mm. And then how does that tie in with what you now do as a coach and and the distinctions and the differences? Because a lot of people, we sometimes expect that everybody knows what the difference Mm. is, but not everyone does. It's a bit wishy-washy for some. So it'd be great to hear that from somebody who's experienced therapy and is now a coach. Yeah, I mean, I've had a a few um, goes round of therapy. Um, I had some in my early 20s when, yeah, I was very, you know, I was suicidal probably, um, very depressed. But that was all about, you know, the real, not realisation, but, you know, I, ha- I was having a few nightmares about childhood stuff and my sexuality would come into terms of that. So I had a very good GP, luckily, and um, he got me some therapy, which was great. I had that for quite a while, for about a year and a half. Um, yeah, and that unearthed a lot of stuff for me about, you know, my upbringing. And then I had it again when my, well, around my children because we had family therapy and then we all had individual therapy because it was a very tricky uh, situation. Uh, and then obviously, yeah, I had it um, year before last. So, yeah, I think I just was in a very dark place and I just sometimes – you know, like people think that people like myself, energetic, positive, glass half full, that we can always dig ourselves out of the hole. And sometimes you just have to realise that you just can't, you know, none of us do anything alone. I don't care what anyone says. We can't, never, we can't go on this journey alone. We always need someone and some, some support. And um, I knew that if I didn't, I wouldn't be here. I was just couldn't dig myself out of the hole and... Um, you know, I went to see my GP and he just wanted to give me drugs. And I said, I, I, I don't want the drugs. I just want someone to talk to that's not connected. And yeah, to, to get this craziness in my head and this darkness in my head and help me talk that away and work through that. Um, so that's what I did. And I had a phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal therapist. I cannot tell you that woman. Well, she saved my life. And 
was like no other therapist I've ever had before. Having, I think I've had oh, therapy wow. four times now. And um, she was amazing, just amazing. And that was on the NHS? Yeah, it was brilliant. But, you know, it wasn't wow. like, oh, hey, I need some therapy. Can I get it? It was, I had to fight for it. But I remember like being here and I was crying in my be- sister's bedroom and I was on the phone and I said, yeah, you can, you know, maybe in a couple of weeks we can get and I knew that I wouldn't be here in a couple of weeks if I did not get something right now um but I knew I knew that of myself that I needed to push rather than go okay I knew that I need it now and that's one thing that you know you know a few people do I get messages from people you know that are in really dark places and you know, I'm not a therapist. I will signpost them to where they need to go, but I also won't ignore them because I know when you need help and you're in a very dark place, you need it now, not in a week, not in an hour even. If you say now, it is now. Mm. Uh, and that's kind of where mm. I was. Um, you know, I'm obviously, you know, I'm not a therapist. Therapy has helped me massively um, talk through some of my my issues, um, my struggles, uh it's very you know coaching for me is you know my job as a coach I see is helping people see the bits that they can't see for themselves seeing the edges and the borders you know it's a bit like a picture you know you're in the picture that's your life and that's all going on you can't see what's around it I come along I can see what's in the picture and the framework around it and that's what you know, I think all coaches do that. We have that ability to look in but see what's around it. And we'll help. I love that analogy. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I always just think that we can see the things you can't see. So my job is to help spark insight within you, sight inside of you, which is those bits and those edges that you can't see and ask those questions that you don't know to ask your yourself. Um, mm. it, it's not a big bit that I'm about is about keeping it real. So being real and, and helping people get to what that means by taking responsibility, by being honest. I ask very powerful questions. I challenge. It's not about, um, you know, therapy is very different, very, very different. Um, it's always going to go back to childhood. I mean, you know, when coaching it does, but therapy is very guided in that way. Um, my job is to spark your thinking to help you wake up, the fuck up sorry about the swear I can bleep that out um (laughs) uh, and yeah help you look at things from a different perspective and work from the inside out which is a big big bit of what I do because most of us live outside in you know we're like you know you spoke before about you know what's around me is that impacting me well yes it is to a degree but actually you know, I'm a top-down kind of person. I'm an inside-out kind of person. Everything comes from within. And I love helping people see that. And that's about responsibility. That's about taking responsibility for it all, which is not comfortable in lots of situations. But when you do do that and understand it's your view, it's your perspective, the reality you see is the reality that you create. If you've If you've got a situation that's volatile, is, is not the situation that's volatile. It's the thoughts that are volatile. And when you can take that on board and accept that and take responsibility, it's freeing. <laughs> Hence why I live very freely and feel very e- at ease because I know that it's all within my control. You can't control what someone else does or what goes on around you, but you can control what's in here and then what's in here. So if, and when you can do that and let a lot of the shit go, your inner intelligence, your innate intelligence, your intuition starts to work really, really well. And your intuition and your innate intelligence is like a superpower. It will give you what you need if you train it well enough. So I don't know if that explains what I do, but 
Yeah, absolutely brilliant. I could just listen to you for hours on end. I love it. I love the picture analogy and and using the word perspective as well when it comes to art and when it comes to you know having the frame and perspective in that world. Yeah. I think that's a, a, an amazing analogy. And I think absolutely amazing. You know, I also use the photography or photographer one about looking at situations and you know somebody will come to you with a situation or a problem or a challenge and it's like just think of a photographer if they don't see what they like you know if they take a look get the camera and they hold it up and they look and they see something they don't like what do they do they move position they adjust the angle they'll do all sorts of things to see it from a different perspective and that's what we have to do as human beings how can we see this situation in a different light in a different way from a different angle from a different perspective it's not concrete we think it is but it isn't and you can see it from a different perspective and it's it's that challenge and helping people to do that and that will that will shift things and yeah so it's yeah perspective is is massive and that's where it comes from that inside stuff and that inside work love it um so the nature of of the podcast it's obviously called that's what she yeah. said and i'm going to come back around you'll see where i'm going with this um you mentioned that your father had passed away not so long ago mm. and that um you know you've really only started to to talk and share and be very open about all of this stuff in the last couple of years mm. um how much of what you're able to say now do you think is because you haven't perhaps got the judgment from your father or is that not an aspect that even plays a role um the, the reason I ask this question is because I hear a lot of people talking about how they write their first book when the perpetrators have passed, not that the father was, I don't no, know. No, he wasn't. No, it was a family him. member. But. Family member. When perpetrators have passed away, um, when, you know, when they feel more free and able to speak about it. So do you think that played a role or not really? Do you think that played no role? No, not really. So I said family member, it's family, friend. Uh, who's passed away so I just want to be clear about that um yeah yeah absolutely um yeah. yeah no not 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 really um yeah no you know my dad yeah it wasn't it wasn't about my dad at all really it's about just me finding me my my marriage broke down and um you know you question a lot of things my dad was was unwell at the time mm -hmm. kind of he had cancer and then he broke his hip um, and yeah, we knew that my dad wasn't going to be around for too much longer. I mean, my dad was an ace human, you know, just, he's like, I'm more like my dad, you know, energetic, cheeky. That's how my dad was really. Um, so it wasn't about that. It was just about my marriage breaking down and I was devastated. That put me in a very dark place and my dog got sick and died and then my dad died. So I had those and, you know, those episodes all happened mm -hmm. in a very short space of time. You know, in the end, my, my dog, my dog died, my dad died and I got divorced and that all probably happened in about eight months. And I think wow. that those three things, you know, individually, like if anyone understands animals, <laughs> you like my dog, you know, <laughs> he's been with me for a decade. He's like always there and it's hard losing an animal, but I, my marriage had broken down then my dog died. So I was just feeling like I was doing okay, but then my dog died and it just took me right back. And then, of course, my dad was already struggling and we knew he probably wasn't going to get past the summer. So it was just those three things and just compounded. That's like that. It woke me up. It, it, it put me in a very dark place, but it woke me up at the same time. Um, yeah. So... Mm, interesting yeah no I, I, I clearly you know didn't want to put two and two together and get you know 15 yeah. but it, it's something that that comes up very frequently is the permission to be able to talk about our experiences mm. especially as women mm. um happens when either perpetrators have passed away or there isn't that that family kind of hold over your opinion and what you say in the wider world so I wanted to ask just in case that was something that that's yeah. a theme that I've I think I had to give myself in. permission yeah I don't think it was yeah. yeah it was always holding back and yeah it was about me it was about me and 
you know, ego, that play, a bit of that in there. And mm-hmm. always, I think it comes from my childhood, not feeling good enough. Um, to always striving to want more and, you know, to fit in, like we all do, all that usual stuff that a lot of us want. And then, you know, the realisation that, you know, I nearly took my own life and then realising that I actually really like living. (laughs) And if I'm going to be here, Mm -hmm. then I'm going to be here as me. And so it was about me giving myself that permission and letting go and, those that don't like me for who I am, how I speak, how loudly I laugh, they're not my people. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love your laugh. I love it. I hear it all the time yeah, and I love it. Yeah. Um, okay, so a slight tangent from what we've been talking about. So you and I are both mothers of children with special mm. needs. Um, that's an interesting experience, isn't, isn't it? Isn't it just? A <laughs> <laughs> whole, whole podcast series on that one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we've just been granted an EHCP. Um, my son was excluded from his first primary school. They didn't believe that he had a special educational need. Right. And um, we moved him to another primary. He's in a, in a phenomenal primary school now. And we failed the first EHCP application. It wasn't granted to mm. us. And then we've just applied again and we've been successful. But the whole process has been nothing short of traumatic. Yeah. Um, has your experience <laughs> of the education system been the same or have you had a good experience? No, it's, it's, it was a challenge at the time. Obviously, they're, they're much older now. Um, but at the time, um, those, uh, those young years shall I say, were very challenging, very stressful, mm-hmm. keeping one of my daughters in school, getting her the support that she needed. And, you know, she was a very complex little girl um, and it was a challenge to most people, I think. But, you know, you know, it, she's the kind of child that needed a lot of specialist help, you know, specialist parenting, which obviously we weren't. We weren't. You know, things have changed slightly, um, you know, and, and there's, a lot, there's a lot more um, education around, you know, for foster carers managing certain types of children and things like that and specialist parenting, you know. Obviously, we didn't go into it with any of that. We just wanted to be parents. Um, so it was a very steep learning curve and a challenge. You had to fight for everything. You know, fight mm. for respite, fight fight for the right educational need. You know, educational center, fight to get cams help. You know, family therapy. Mm. You know, and it was it was challenged because we lived in Brighton, but the, our children came from a different borough. So then, then of course, they're arguing over money when you don't give a shit about the money. You just want your child to be happy and safe and mm-hmm. have as calm mm-hmm. life as possible. Um, and so you have all of that stuff going on. A lot of professional meetings all the time um and yeah just a a battle and it it felt like a battlefield um very exhausting very exhausting you know (laughs) actually you know um autistic children don't sleep very well (laughs) some do but there's quite a lot of them that don't Uh, I've been lucky in that in that sense well yeah we uh we got we got really really strict with a routine early on so I was a very I I had a fear of childbirth tocophobia Mm. um and uh my mum my mum had a blood clot after she had my sister and I was about eight or nine when that happened so I think that cemented Mm. in my mind that pregnancy was very dangerous and so I had a phobia of of becoming a mother of of childbirth specifically Mm. And so I read up, this is what I do when I'm scared of something, I just read as much information as I possibly could on the subject and decided to have a home mm. birth. And so um, I was I was all about natural, all about, you know, doing allowing my body to do whatever it possibly could. And so you have the, the I think it's the NCP meetings or NCT, mm. I can't remember, it's not the car park, it's the family meeting. <laughs> I don't know what they're called. 
Yeah, I don't know. Um, you have those meetings and, you know, I think I was probably the, the quite natural hippie mum who wanted to have a natural birth, etc. And then about eight weeks after Jackson was born, we ended up um, doing the the structured sleep routine yeah. because I, I was ready to throw him out the window I mean he was feeding every 45 minutes during the oh, night it, it's part of it's part of why I became so poorly I mm-hmm. think and what led to the nervous breakdown but um I think <laughs> I think we have this notion of what it's like to be a mother and then the reality is so very I wouldn't change the reality for mm-hmm. the world in fact coping with being Jackson's mum is okay Mm. it's coping with the other elements that support Jackson that I find really difficult yeah and you've had a similar yeah totally resonate with that you know yeah although I'm not sure I did either very well luckily my partner was amazing um but the all of the meetings the professionals the schools that you know yeah that's exhaust like I said I found that very exhausting constantly having meetings about meetings I hate I, I do think we spend too much of our lives in meetings and not being practical and proactive and and, and I think you can apply that to so many things I, I did a inclusion in sport board the other day and it's the same, same bloody conversations what are we going to do what steps can we take? And it was the same for the kids back then. It's like, okay, well, we've talked about it for two hours. What are we going to do about it? You know, and um, I wish I'd probably been a bit stronger back back then than I than I was. Luckily, like I said, my partner was amazing. Um, but we do spend a lot of time talking about things and not not fixing things. You know, I joined. I I like I think I mentioned. I um, went on to sit on adoption and fostering panels. So that's obviously mm-hmm. where the children come to be approved and the carers and uh, and I was vice chair in Camden and um, Action for Children in West Sussex. So, and I did that for 11 years. And whenever I chaired the meetings, I kept them way shorter because I think we, we would spend, because we're just talking about, we know, yeah. you know, just, so that's what I say when I apply it to any meetings, even those meetings, it was just like, this doesn't need to be a six hour yeah. meeting. You know, it really, really no. doesn't. When um, we all know pretty much where we're at, what can we do about it? What are the steps? Even if it's just one small step, what's that step that we can take? Um, and I think that's what I got very frustrated with a lot of these meetings. And um, and there's not enough facilities, you know, uh, you know, for for no. the, you know my daughter with her extra needs. Um, you know, most of the time she's been placed a very long way away from us. You know, we when it became very difficult at home to manage her physically, she was very strong, very aggressive. And then that became an issue, you know, and we couldn't manage her. Mm. Um, so then you're looking at, you know, three-hour drive to go and see her for an hour, two mm. hours to drive all the way back, you know, and all of that stuff that comes in. So there isn't enough, just isn't enough resources and, and specialist resources and, uh, there wasn't even back then respite, the kind of respite, you know, that we needed that would take her. That was in very short supply. Um, mm. How did her sister cope with that? Yeah, I mean, my other daughter is very quiet. She always has been really quiet, quite passive. And like I say, she's got her own challenges, but not to the degree of my other daughter. Um, but... I think as an adult, she's been able to express some of that, which has been been nice. I mean, it's not nice necessarily to hear, but actually I'm really happy that she's just verbalising it. And now she can say, you know, if my other daughter comes, she feels overshadowed by that or she doesn't want to hang out with her necessarily. And that's a good, and I'm happy for her to say that um, because mm. she's probably been overshadowed by her her whole life. Which she has been overshadowed, you know, because, she, you know, my other daughter was so dominant in her behavior you know overtook the household we we ran the household to the tune of her mm. no choice you know her mood her behavior her sleep pattern her, it, it was all her so you know it, we were all overshadowed by it really um but as an adult she can say and she will say you know like at christmas or oh, a bit stressed and which is good that she now can verbalize mm-hmm. that um as a child she just yeah, she just crept on with it, really, as you do as kids. Like I said, mm. you know, talking about my childhood, it was just in case you just you crack on with it. 
You do. You do just crack on. But she had her own little bit of therapy. You know, she had writing. Um, she had drawing therapy. She's really great at drawing and stuff. So she used to go to art oh, therapy oh. and stuff. And that was her little bit of, yeah, her little outlet, which was great for her to have. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. What a great, great parent and parents <laughs> you are. Um, you clearly supported those those two girls very well. Um, so you have a saying, <laughs> this day is non-refundable. I do. This is a non-refundable day. I think I know why now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get it, right? A bit more than I did before. Yeah, yeah. because you've been through a lot. Sam, you've been through a huge amount of adversity in your life. Um, so you're now living with this notion of every day being non-refundable. Mm. What's what's in in store for your future? What are you aspiring for? What are you what are you gunning for for the next fifty three years? <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. Let's hope I live another fifty three. Do you know what? I just just happy to be happy and to feel good. Um, because if I was, it's weird because I was thinking that today because I was just was over, at, there's a beach area that I want to live and I go there a lot and I was there this morning and I was thinking about it and, and I don't know for a nanosecond I had that kind of thought in my head to be here and be okay or to feel like I feel now and I take to feel how I feel now because I'm not a millionaire, you know, there, yeah, sure, I'd like more money and I'd like to work with some amazing athletes like Serena Williams and whatever. You know, if you ask me about all of that, that's probably the vision and where it's all going. But I'm happy. I'm at ease with me. I feel more me than I've ever felt. And I promise you that's such an amazing place to be. I feel like I can show up as me, use my like. I feel like I'm still finding my voice, but I'm using it at the same time. So I'm growing and using that and articulating in a different way what's really within me. And I'm growing as a person. My innate intelligence has grown, is improving. I'm happy. I'm single and I'm happy and I'm the happiest I've ever been. So if I could just jar that, I'd, yeah. Jar that and take a sip from it every day. Exactly, which is what I say, you know, when I say today's non-refundable day and it starts with you. And it does. It starts with you, your decisions you know, your choices, how are you going to show up today? How do you want to show up today? You know, those intentions that you set yourself, it starts with you and and understanding that it is non-refundable. You can't get to the end of your life and go, hey, you know what? This day back in April, can I have it again, please? Because I didn't really live it as well as I could have. I didn't do X, Y, Z. (laughs) You know, the only time you ever have is now. There's no past. There's no future. It's just now. Be present. Be happy and feel good and if you have that you pretty much have the best of life Mm, amazing amazing um so a question that I've started asking the podcast guests is which female voices do we need to be listening to um in in the vein of that's what she said which books do we need to be reading by female authors what you know have you got a standout apart from obviously just watching everything serena williams (laughs) by the way sam has an incredible podcast and we are on a mission to have serena on that podcast as well putting that out on the podcast i think i I might be embarrassing sam a little bit if anyone knows serena williams listening to this please i want her on my podcast and i want to work with her so Um, But the podcast is the first step. First step is the podcast. Absolutely. Um, I've forgotten what I was asking you. You asked me about female voices and and books and things. Do you know what? I don't think there's enough books by female authors. No, there aren't. There absolutely aren't. Um, But, you know, whether film or maybe some inspirational women that you look up to, who, who could we be looking at? Who, who inspires you? Is there someone that comes to mind? Um, excuse me, you know, Serena inspires me and, you know, I don't just want her on the podcast because she's a great tennis player. She is an amazing tennis player, but her determination, her strength, her resilience to do things differently, like even in their sport, you know, where the rules say you should do this, but 99.9% of people don't do that, but she still does it. Like she stands out, even though she already stands out because she's the greatest. 
Um, but the determination to her, you know, to speak up and go against the grain, her athleticism, um, you know, to stand up for herself and others, you know, to, you know, she really is now like standing up for women in sports. She, she's our owner of a football club now for a female football club. Uh, and so she, I always, you know, I, I look to her for that and she does inspire me because, you know, she's nearly died, I think twice of experienced racism, which, which has been appalling, but on a tennis court with thousands of people booing and you and having the resilience and strength to, yeah, come back from that. You know, I, I wouldn't want to get back on the court ever again. Um, Mm. to, and then to challenge that and stand up for that and then for others. So she is someone I definitely, um, inspires me every day. Um, female, female wise, I think not necessarily people that, are well known, but I'm very lucky that um, I have some really good female friends. Now, my um, my friend Tanya, who you think you know, you know Tanya Nishi, she inspires me Tanya. every day because, you know, a big part of my message is my work is to be real, to be who you really are. And Tanya is unashamedly her self like in the biggest, boldest, baddest way. She's she's larger than life character. And spending time with her and hearing her, she just inspires me every day to, to be more me. She loves and looks after and cares for on such a deep level for all humanity. Like she cares so deeply that someone that I really inspires me. Like, you know... My my fr- my best friend, who is just an absolute giver. Like she she and I are very different. I start with me. It starts with you, right? I, I take care of me. First part of my day is always about me being myself and doing that bit of self care. She will give to others before she gives herself. Now I don't think that's right, but she has always lived her life like that. It's a debate that we always have. But I admire mm-hmm. her for her generosity of spirit and to to just show up all the time and uh, you know I admire so many women that aren't you know that aren't famous really um I have um well there's you obviously confidence and how you show up and talk about no but you do talk about you know because obviously I was aware of you before clubhouse and we got to know each other a bit better but I didn't really know you and know your story I still don't know all your story but I know some of it and to come back and um openly talk about that because I I do think that a lot of people still don't want to talk about that those kinds of things you're having a breakdown and things Mm -hmm. like that and and then going on to like I said Mm -hmm. vulnerability is a superpower right and to share that and your experiences Mm -hmm. of that and I remember the first time I heard you talking about that and talking about it with Ned as well. And I was like, wow, who are these people? This is incredible. And genuinely. Um, and now that you champion that and, you mm. and you know, the stuff around confidence and what you're doing for women, like, because for me, it's not necessarily always about, you know, some of these people that we all know that are really famous. It's like, who is tangible for me? Yeah, who is I, right? Who is in my... Yeah my world uh, and, and it's like you it's like Tanya it's like my friend Linny it's like my friend Diana my friend Mandy my friend Tree you know these are all really inspiring women my you know my friend Karen they're all really inspiring women you know you're gonna have people phoning you up going you didn't mention me Sam so I need to write a list I haven't, I haven't mentioned them all but you know but and I think you know, we are, you know, they say we're the sum of the five people we spend our most time with, you know, and I, I do agree with that. But, you know, you, you if you look at your circle of people around you, they reflect you and what you want in your future. And, and actually you asking me that question has made me realize that I'm around, I'm 100% have the people in my life that I want to have in my life that I'm inspired by, that I hope that I help to support. Um, and there's a reason for that. And so we don't always have to look we feel like we always have to look for the guru, don't we? You know, the, the Mel Robbins book or the Brené Brown book. Or, you know, I could easily quote those women, couldn't I? Um, which are in some ways far away, but in lots of other ways, as we know, not that far away. Um, mm-hmm. But actually, I think 
we've all got people, you know, like for me, I've got people like that around me all the time anyway. I love that answer. I absolutely love that. And you're so right. You are absolutely right. We're all human beings. There is no one more valuable Mm. than anyone else. And um, I will uh, will get Tanya linked into (laughs) this podcast because everyone needs to see her her Instagram with her (laughs) unicorns will be linked in and, and we'll link Tanya in there too because she is phenomenal yeah um, so many. amazing Sam thank, yeah there are so many thank you so much for your very kind words um so we spoke about lots of things today we spoke about sexuality color abuse mm. being a mum being a coach our friends, people who support us, our aspirations with Serena Williams. So if you if you were to set one intention for what people say about you when you're not in the room, what would you love people to say about you and your your life? Oh my gosh. Just two words really. One would be around energy, that I love Sam's energy and that she inspires me to be me. Love it. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sam. No, Thank, you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Eye-opening, heartbreaking and at times smile-giving. What an incredible conversation with the lovely Sam. I thank her for joining me on this episode and I hope you enjoyed it. Do go and check out what she does. She is very real. What you see is what you get and that is what I love about her. Thank you for joining us on That's What She Said and join us on our next episode when we talk to more women who share their stories with us of empowerment and their journeys to where they are today. Thank you for joining us on another episode of That's What She Said. This is a phenomenal collective of female voices from around the world. And I'm sharing that to empower women to share our stories so that you know that you are not alone. I'm a woman who's gone through it all. Honestly, there is nothing you can tell me that I haven't heard before, either with my clients or through my own life journey. And we need to stop hiding behind a veneer of perfection. These stories are important and we need to share them loudly and proudly. And that's what we're doing on this series of That's What She Said. Thank you for joining us. I have been your host, Lucienne Shakir, and it has been an absolute pleasure to spend my time with these phenomenal women. Oh,